0: Welcome to this episode of Curating Crypto, where we focus on covering the art and culture scene surrounding the crypto space. And now, here's your host, Pavo Villalobos. Hello everyone, this is Havo, your host of Curating Crypto. Our guest today is a British artist and designer who studied at the prestigious Slate School of Fine Arts in London and the Cooper Union School in New York. His work has been shown at the renowned Serpentine Gallery and the Mall Galleries in London, among other galleries around the world. His work is heavily influenced by his time in the banknote industry, where he designed notes and other security documents for the world's central banks and governments. Originally, he wanted to become a painter, but the 2008 financial crisis was the trigger point that restarted his interest in money, which as well as inspiring his design work, also ultimately led him to Bitcoin. Without further ado, let's welcome Tom Badley. Hey Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, how's it going?
0: Tom, I was really looking forward to this interview. Obviously you're working in a very interesting sector, which is banknote and security design, which generates a lot of interest in itself, but the quality of your work and attention to detail is impeccable. So I knew early on uh, you were someone that I wanted to chat with. So I'm pretty excited about this session.
1: That's great. Thank you Thank you for having me on. It's, uh, It's an absolute pleasure.
0: So Tom, why don't you tell us about your journey as an artist, where do you start and what's your story?
1: Okay, what's my story? Um, I guess uh, I would start with uh, when I was born. I was basically born with a pencil in my hand, and that's not really an exaggeration. I couldn't speak for the first few years of of life, and um, my parents were really worried. They were actually taking me to child psychologists, and they could work out what was going on. But I could draw, and Eventually, I remember in school I was separated from other kids and I was given, you know, special drawing lessons. And I, I don't think that the teachers really knew what to do with me. Um, by about age twelve, art was pretty much my religion, and I really got into Renaissance art, old masters, Da Vinci, Michelangelo, uh, Velasquez, uh, and also like nineteenth-century art. Um, like Jacques-Louis David and, and all the neoclassical artists. And I couldn't stop painting. Um, throughout my teenage years, I was just, I was basically tied. I was either had a paintbrush or I was in some kind of sketchbook, wherever I went. Um, by age 18, I, I got a place into the Slade School of Fine Art, which I think at the time it was number four in the country. Now it's number one. Um... So it's quite a prestigious place, and it has the Slade School of Fine Art in London. is um, It has a, a reputation for being somewhat traditional, but it's it, it was nothing like that when I went there. It was quite innovative. Whilst I was there, I was chosen to go on exchange to uh, Cooper Union in New York, and that had a big impact on me. The people that I met there, they they showed me a different way of, of doing things, a different way of learning. Um, and there's just completely different conversation in art in, in the U.S. compared to, uh, to London. Um, the next, I guess, highlight of art school was I was working with um, uh, Damien Hurst and he, he put on an exhibition uh, around about 2007 and where he had the Diamond Skull, and I was working in the Y-Cube Gallery where the Diamond Skull was, and it was so... Surreal, because looking back, that was like the high tide mark for that era. Uh, Because the following year in two thousand eight, the markets crashed, and it was like whatever whatever was built up before that time just suddenly vanished. And that that moment of the uh, the markets crashing that had a profound impact on me, and it had a profound impact on me personally. And financially, and also artistically, because it forced me to it, I, whatever I thought about the world had changed, and it forced me to look at money and what is money. And I went back to something in my childhood, which was an interest I had, a hobby with banknotes and paper money, and I and I got back into it in two thousand eight, and that went over a, a couple of um, iterations. And at the same time, I was having a few solo shows in in two thousand eight. So I, I showed at um, a place like the Mall Galleries, which is um, I guess kind of traditional art gallery in London, that sort of thing. But the money design just took over, and I should say as well, in in art school, I completely forgot about painting. So it was really interesting. I I I couldn't stop painting up until about eighteen. And then as soon as I got into art school, I just, I dropped it all and just decided to go a completely different direction. And I, I actually decided to get into music as uh, the other thing that I was into when I was uh, a kid is playing piano. And so I investigated music and videography and eventually sculpture. I think I was one of the few people in the whole school who basically zipped around each uh, department that, uh, that Slade offered and you know, normally when someone comes to art school, they've got a fairly good idea of what they're doing. But uh, I wasn't satisfied in one in one department. I had to try them all. So it was it was um, an interesting time, definitely. I mean, I was having loads of solo shows, and this was around about 2009, 2010. And at some point, I just decided that I wasn't ready for the art world, whatever it was. I wasn't ready, and I just decided to. Um, to withdraw and, and travel for a little bit and kind of find myself. And as I was doing that, the thing that was like the constant was this money design. It was this persistent thing. And, um, eventually that, that led into, uh, doing it formally. So I guess it's like a short version of, uh, of my journey. Super cool. So Tom,
0: why bang notes in the, in the first place?
1: Um, so a, a banknote is a really interesting object. It's kind of an outlier uh, of design and you know, product creation. It has this aura to it. And the reason it has this aura is because the combination of techniques to produce that tiny little piece of paper and the, the intricate designs on it are extremely specialized. And everyone who contributes to the production of that piece of paper has gone through like, rigorous training. So it has something special to it. Also, banknotes, you know, in a philosophical sense, they are a mirror of, um, of humanity. They are a window into worlds. Um, they're they're a kind of, it's the first touch point, the first interaction you have with a country is often its, it's money. And it's kind of a compilation, uh, um, an avatar for a collective fear, a collective uh, hope, aspiration, I mean, for example, the British money, that inspires, when I ha- have that in my mind, that inspires a very, very specific touch point of Britishness that no other country in the world can understand, and it's the same for dollars, maybe it's kind of not the same for dollars because it's the world reserve currency, um, and so that image is exported everywhere. But every country has a similar thing. I also think a banknote is, is an indication of, of dominion, of power, of, um, of jurisdiction. And I don't know whether it's a guy thing or whether, <laughs> you know, wanting to have dominion, the idea of, you know, I mean, like, there's video, video games where you kind of, like, build a world. You know, when you, when you build a banknote, you're almost like building a world. You're building a window into a world. And... It's significant of power. I mean, the, issue, the issuance of money is where power emanates in our world. So it's incredibly powerful. And When you can produce something, um, an art object that involves all those different techniques and you can manufacture that aura, that to me is, that gives me chills because that's like the best I could hope for. That's the kind of aura that we associate with these great works of art. You know, the Mona Lisa, it's not just a painting. It has this sort of halo around it. And if you can manufacture that, wow, that's that to me is like, you know, that's God level art.
0: It's very interesting. Yeah, I'm thinking back to what you said initially, that it it, it represents something. uh, And I was thinking of. I think my, my dad, when we moved to the States, he he saved the first dollar that he made something different, right? So you're, you're making money in a new currency. And in Mexico, I think that when you open up a, a new business, you're kind of expected to either your first sale or somebody gives you like a dollar bill and you put it on top on, on your wall. It's, it's kind of like what people do. It's supposed to give you good luck. I mean, how many times have we heard of people that were trying to become successful and while it was not a note, they write themselves a million dollar check. So there's something psychologically Really powerful, there were either it represents a validation, a goal, while money may not be the ultimate motivation but ultimately represents something that is that validates what you're doing either as a businessman or whatever so there's there's something pretty strong about that
1: yeah, absolutely, I mean in this life and the next, because people drop money in in people's graves and um there's stuff that's produced in in China called hell money, and it's given to the dead as as um to ward off bad spirits or to pay, no, it's to literally to pay the guys when they get to hell, to actually bribe them not to do anything to them. That's <laughs> why so it's called hell money. And uh, yeah, so it is super powerful. It's got everything in it. There's life, there's death, there's love, there's, you know, the agony and the ecstasy of, of our existence is all contained in one little piece of paper.
0: How do you go from an area that interests you to actually working, producing? Money and banknotes and security design.
1: Uh, okay, yeah, that's um, that's an involved question. So, yeah, so I should go back. That I mean, quite an early age, I was interested in in banknotes and paper money, and I mean, I don't really, I don't really know why. I can remember uh, very, very early on. I must have been like six or seven. I was trying to, um, I was actually trying to counterfeit money <laughs> with crayons as best as I could um which is pretty funny and there that I just did loads of things like I can remember I can remember printing these crude banknotes in the playground using the school photocopier and then passing them around and and this was like it's in primary school I don't know the equivalent of of the US is like kindergarten basically um and I remember I think I spoke to someone years later who said that these notes were still circulating as sort of like a temporary currency in the playground um yeah really 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 weird and you know as a teenager I was I probably my most coveted possession was my banknote collection um outside of the paintings that I that I made and uh I mean I, I was an oddball man I, I you know I I invite girls like girlfriends round to my house and I was like so you don't want to see my banknote collection and <laughs> I really did just want to show them my banknote collection. I think they were they expected more, so you know I, I disappointed a lot of people. But I, I, I just I just loved paper money. But two thousand eight, when the markets crashed, um, all that came flooding back um, in a kind of more political sort of involved way. And and what I was really interested in is finding alternatives to money, and. The first way, it didn't immediately manifest in, in designing money. That didn't just sort of pop up. Looking back, the first thing that I was really interested in was gold and uh, and sort of sound money. And it's I guess it's through that that I got into uh, cryptocurrency much later on. But I was definitely, definitely looking at alternatives to money. And I found other people who were also looking for alternatives to money. And I thought well, here's a way that I can use my design skill to somehow bring about an alternative, a kind of a parallel currency. And I started working with groups in a very kind of informal basis, making real amateur designs, but were good enough um, that someone somewhere, um, a head designer in, in the company that eventually headhunted me, said, you know, invited me for a, an interview at the office. And that was that. I was kind of brought into... Uh, this mysterious world of uh, of printing money. And that took me around the world. It took me um, in front of the world's central banks and um, designing and helping to print real money, as <laughs> uh, surreal as that sounds. And it's very, you know, these, these factories, it's a design job like nothing else because you're in a very high security situation, you know, airport-style pat-downs on the way in, on the way out, all the doors open with your thumbprint, um, big steel doors everywhere, it's, that's huge security. So it's the closest you get to as a graphic designer to being James Bond, and you really feel like you are close to where power emanates in the world. And, uh, you know, I, I could talk a lot about that.
0: <laughs> it's It's super cool. I mean... As an artist and as creative, one of the things that I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people want to do is for their art to propagate and for everybody to interact with their art in a way. But you're in a position where you're working, the sign in this money, and then the signs will go out there, but then they're ultimately anonymous. That's, that has to be pretty crazy.
1: Yeah, there's something beautiful about that, you know, because we, the, I mean, the, the talent that's behind some of these pieces of paper is just incredible and they go unnoticed and it's so pure you know you you're you're behind multiple screens Uh, you're sort of invisible and it's it's a collaborative process you know building a a banknote a country's money um and it goes out there and it is touched it's handled it's is held close to people's body and and uh it collects dust and grease and it's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing.
0: And it has to be super interesting because you're holding a piece of art, but that piece of art is understood by everybody that it holds a specific value that you could use to exchange for a service or for a product. So it has this added meaning that it's not only beautiful, but it's, it represents something that supposedly um, you could go back and create it against. right? So it's, it's just a different dimension.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's it's just fascinating. You know, there's a whole, you know, conversation about that. But yeah, essentially, our currency system is based on, our fiat currency system is based on trust, and that trust is built by the IP and the technology, to a large extent, on banknotes. The idea that this is so difficult to replicate that, uh, you know, that's what, that's in a way, that's what backs the currency. Um, so yeah, super, super interesting.
0: And then, have you participated in any projects that, not necessarily is real currency, but it holds value at least for a community, uh or it has some interpretive value? Because I remember reading not too long ago in Italy that the Italian mafia still uses the old liras as a form of exchange, uh, which is super, super interesting to to see. But have you participated in any projects? For example, I can think of the, the Brixton note that I saw on Vice a few years ago. Have you participated in any of these type of, of work?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, there was a time there was like a spate of um, alternative currencies that popped up in, in the UK. And it's really before anyone knew about cryptocurrency. I mean, as soon as cryptocurrency became got a level of, of mainstream adoption, as it were, hasn't really, but uh, it, as soon as it sort of bubbled up into the public's consciousness, a lot of those um, currencies just kind of like went away, or they failed, and it became sort of like an older generation who held onto their their uh, their notes. Uh, but most of them were really poorly designed. So I, you know, was there sort of offering my services as someone who worked in the industry. But then I found I found that actually part of the purpose of those currencies were so they were poorly designed. And that sounds like a weird thing to say, but a lot of these uh, schemes and alternative paper money projects, they're, they're willfully anti-money, if <laughs> you know what I mean. To so say something like the Brixton Pound that you mentioned, it's a very simple design. And the guy who 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 put that together, I mean, is not a, a currency designer at all, and it's, it's kind of, it's, it's quite naive, the design, but that's almost the point. It's kind of like a punk gesture. So I'm very conscious of, you know, the different gestures that you can make in the same genre, and it's, a lot of times, all about presentation with currency. I knew uh, a guy, he was, he was quite a famous doctor uh, in the Middle East, and he was obsessed with hygiene. And he would carry around five-pound notes that were almost stuck together, you know, like um, like a pad, a pad of notes. And he would, every time he wanted to spend a crisp note that he got directly from the, um, uh, from the bank, uh, he would just rip a page out of this note, out of this pad of, of notes. And, you know, the waitress would see this, and, and she'd be like, it doesn't look real because it, it looks... It looks like it's a a pad. It doesn't look like it's it's money. So it's so the the presentation of money is is such an important thing as well. You know where it pops up and there's there's so much mafia money as well. Like like you know mafia that use their own currencies. It's, that's quite a fascinating area in itself.
0: Absolutely. And then you mentioned something that maybe, for example, we saw what's happening in Paris, right? So the gilets jaunes, the yellow bass, put Bitcoin back into the conversation. With the UK going through its own period of adjustment to whatever it may lead, because I still think it's a bit up in the air, do you think that Brexit has contributed to this being a major part of the conversation? Uh,
1: With respect to cryptocurrency? Yes. um, I think that, I think we need a stable coin. <laughs> we need a British stable coin. Right. Uh, that would be cool instead of this falling currency that we seem to have. Um, well, I mean, I can only really talk about, you know, my own friends and family. I'm I'm someone who kind of like gets obsessed about an idea and then I preach it to family and then they don't listen and <laughs> I keep on preaching. And uh, I, I mean, as soon as I found out about cryptocurrency, I was like, you know, the evangelist, the the dinner table evangelist, <laughs> um, and uh, you know, it's it's. I think cryptocurrency is a hedge against uh, this sort of craziness, and and actually, I think that people people are very conscious of it now. Um, yeah, no, I I think they are. I think they are because with every bout of chaos, there is the you know, people seek a, a safe haven and you know, they're scratching their heads and they're looking around and it's not in banks and it's not in gold that can be taken away and um, it's just cryptocurrency left, I guess.
0: Yep. At least for now, right? And I I saw that the Redden's also talking about the own stable coin, so let's see what happens.
1: I heard about that, yeah. Um I I have a, a bold proposal for the Bank of England they could do with a you know a, a unique a unique crypto design, I think.
0: So what excites you about the crypto space and art? what opportunities do you see?
1: Um, The crypto art space, uh, to me, is really interesting because it's kind of a blank slate at this point. And to clarify what I mean by that, um, it's kind of, in its current stage, in its current incarnation, it's sort of innocent to art history. And the sort of conversations that have been ongoing in our in the last hundred and fifty years, and when you take all that out, all that conversation out, what you're kind of left with is is icon worship, which is what we have now, so there's a lot of um there's a lot of worship of the of the personalities in the uh in the space and of the the icons the um you know the bitcoin symbol, and that's evidence of a a market which is just beginning you know. And that presents some, some real opportunities to build something completely new. And I think a space is waiting for perhaps more people to come into this to the uh to art space who who are conscious of art history and can kind of talk about art with um with the last hundred and fifty years in mind. Um the last fifty years maybe. And what that will allow to happen is it will kind of key into art history. And it will allow the um, the crypto art space to really be understood more and to, to sort of be exported more, if that makes sense. I've found really unique synergy with people in the crypto art space that actually I didn't find in the traditional art space. You know, that the, you could call it the legacy art world. And that's one of the reasons why... I sort of disappeared for a while i I, I mentioned that i had um, I was getting a, a degree of success uh soon after I graduated you know some solo shows and there was a bit of momentum and then i kind of i kind of withdrew um, I actually ran away to the uh, Amazon jungle for a while um, to just go travel and uh, to experience new things and it 's in conversations with people that i've met in the crypto art space curators and and some of the artists like you know Trevor Jones and, and Vessa and I've just found this this uh, this synergy with them that I never expected. And actually, you know, I want to I want to thank Trevor and Vessa really because um, in the conversations that I've had with them, they sort of gave me the confidence to show my work. And then um, it was great to have the vote of confidence from people like known Origin and and um, and Sasha at uh, Blockchain Art Exchange. Really grateful for the for the platform uh, that they've provided, and what they're doing is fantastic. Um, but that wouldn't would never have happened in the legacy art space. It, it 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 sort of to to move that fast would have just been impossible. And so things move fast in a small space, and uh, your name gets around, and there's an opportunity to do something really different. Like I mean, I'm talking. You know, not not exaggerating, a completely new art movement, and I would call it, you know, a, a true avant-garde. And we we could talk about what that might involve and what that might look like. But that's really really exciting.
0: I agree. So you mentioned a few things that were important to me. I, I think the space is really small. Just by trying to look for good artists that are available that are currently working in in crypto, it, it's not easy. I have people for the next few episodes, but then still talking to a few others. And I feel like it's always changing and you have very different backgrounds. You have people coming from the fine art world. You have people with excellent, immaculate education and people that are just like me. They're engineers, they're techie guys that really like uh, art. And then we start playing with Illustrator and Photoshop and After Effects and produce something that's half-baked. But you know what? Ultimately, these people will also have their position in time, uh, all the experimentalists. And I would say that while they won't transcend as a top artist, I think that everybody contributes. So that from that perspective, I think it's a it's a very interesting time because I think it's just starting. The other thing that I believe is really cool in crypto art is that there's no fear of experimentation. You see augmented reality, virtual reality. What you're doing is very niche, but very cool. So I was looking at one of your notes uh, right before we got into, into the podcast. I think it was the Wendolina. I don't know if I'm saying it right. But just the way that you, uh, on that picture, you, you start playing the different colors and stuff is just pretty cool. And, and I would say in, in a traditional scene, that might have been overlooked
1: yeah sure no I, I i agree with everything you said um that that expert there is that experimental impulse and that it's all it's all visible so that experimental impulse exists in the art world but it's nixed out and um because the the crypto art space is kind of isn't afraid to to be sort of messy and and uh, and to you know to push the push the boat out and and just uh, just play just play, I mean, it's as simple as that, um, that you can see all this uh, this diversity and all this um, ex- experimental stuff, like not as you say, not afraid to you know bring in technology and yeah, it's very, very exciting
0: okay, excellent. so what's your opinion of the traditional art? Well, I know that you're already kind of touched on it to to some degree. But one of the things that I've seen that is very difficult, just purely based on the conversations with previous artists, is that it's really on the losing end for new artists to get into the traditional art scene. And it's uh, it's expensive, time-consuming, and nothing guarantees that you're going to be able to transcend as an artist. So what's your opinion on that?
1: Um, Yeah, so I have some opinions on the art world. Uh, maybe they're controversial, I don't know. I kind of view the art world as the legacy banking system, um, because we, we can't ignore it, and we kind of have to interact through it, um, but at the same time, the art world, I think it's really important for your audience to, to, to understand, there's a, there's a kind of ideological consensus in the art world, and it's not good, it's not bad, it just is, uh, but what it means is it, kind of, it has kind of nixed out any kind of avant-garde. And I'd be happy to debate that with anyone from the art world. Just a basic question, really, is where is the avant-garde right now? Um, and there is, you know, real potential for there to be an avant-garde. What it could be based on, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I propose that it's based on, that it, you know, brings back the kind of basics of craft, as um, craft is kind of like, it's kind of like the peacock's feathers. It's, it doesn't really lie and it's very humanistic and there's a humanism that um that the ideology of the of the art world perhaps perhaps misses or perhaps glosses over and we had dadaism uh, we had conceptualism in the 60s we had the punk movement and if you take all these things you know, and you intellectualize them all, what you're left with is, is something that isn't very, isn't very humanistic. And there's a potential, there's like a, a blank space there to create a movement which is perhaps based on, on something that is humanitarian, that's based on human potential and self-development and, and a new humanism. Uh, that is kind of something that hasn't really existed for a very long time. And to bring it back to, to banknotes, um, maybe I touched on it before, but you know, I really view banknote as, as a pretty human object because it's it's mass produced, but it's incredibly personal. It's sort of like this outlier of of um, of design and art and it's you know it is highly crafted, but it's also collaborative. You can't there's not one person who is able to put a banknote together. Um, so I do view it as, as kind of like this humanist object. And, and after all, cryptocurrency is kind of there to solve um, a humanitarian problem. And, and it, it does that very, very well. So there's definitely a space there. Whether or not it will be embraced by um, the art world, I would like to see, you know, in the same way that cryptocurrency is being embraced now by, uh, by the world, by, um, by the legacy banking system. The reason it's being embraced is because it's, it's, there is something undeniable and unavoidable about it. Instead of, say, uh, the legacy banking system kind of co-opting and appropriating cryptocurrency for its own means, it's kind of having to accept it, uh, accept its existence. And I would like to see the same thing happen with the crypto art space versus the art world. I would like it to be embraced because there's just something undeniable about it. There's something unavoidable. The you know this this train's leaving with you, with or without without you kind of a thing. Um, what I'd rather not see is the art world kind of appropriate crypto artists. And I've seen I've seen how artists can be. Um, can be used and co-opted for, you know, a specific agenda. I've seen that firsthand. It's very easy when you have artists who are kind of innocent to the ideology of the art world, and something that tends to happen is, is if you have people that and curators as well who aren't perhaps um, aware of the kind of conversations that happen uh, in the art world or, or, you know, in art in general, uh, they can end up inadvertently uh, repeating and and imitating the conventions of the art world so I'd really love to see um, the crypto art space grow to be you know really self-aware you know what it wants what it doesn't want and for it to be some a force to be reckoned with I think that would be pretty exciting cool
0: so in a way you're basically saying we have this opportunity to not, not necessarily take over the traditional art world, but understand what works and what doesn't work and how it can be improved. Maybe it's more of an effort that starts with the artist as opposed to the artist being the vehicle to show a message, but the artist being the ones in control of the message. Do you see this exactly. this happening?
1: Yeah, exactly. More more autonomy uh, rather than kind of being put into pigeonholes. And, I mean, all the tools are there to do that. You know, I mean, you have cryptocurrency, which is, I mean, it, it, this is this is the currency of self-rule, and so it's just so appropriate that that should be mirrored in in a in a true avant-garde.
0: So, what would you say to aspiring artists, art students, new artists coming into the space, somebody that just loves art and they're starting to potentially experiment with different mediums and different things before they decide what is their core? My belief is that you probably experimented quite a bit before you decided that something's going to look a specific way. Um, is that true?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the work that you can see is is the result of, um, of years of, um, finding out what works and what doesn't. And it's to the point now where it's pretty much instinctive and, um, if you gave me some paintbrushes, I'd have a good stab. But I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to lie and say that, you know, I'm a I'm a great painter, because I just haven't built momentum in that area. I was I was pretty good for a time, but if you don't have and it's like anything, if you don't have momentum with something, then um, you can't expect to have any degree of mastery. Um, so when you have that when you reach that level where something where you know your craft and you know your uh your niche to to such an extent where it's just instinctive you know what works you know what doesn't you know it inside out that's that's a good place to be and that's a sign that you're that you're doing something uh you're you're on the right track um because then you've got something that you can own you can say that's mine you know? and also, once you've, once you've established what the conventions are within that thing, then you can kind of break the rules as well. Um, you can't just go expect to go into something and uh, break the rules straight away. You, you do kind of have to go through, as boring as it might seem, uh, I mean, in, in, my, in my opinion, uh, this is what would happen on the first day of art school. Everyone goes in, single file, and they have to draw from life, a pile of chairs and it's just like the most boring thing you could ever, it's not only is it boring, but it's extremely difficult because you've got all these geometries within the, within the chairs and you've got, but within that there are lessons that are so valuable perspective, geometry, looking at negative space, light and dark and doing those drills are, uh, that's going to be like your bread and butter to getting Good at something, Um, so yeah, really dive deep into into the craft of making something and the the technique. And I guess I would say, you know, in a general sense, uh, educate yourself on on art history and and really, you know, have a good a good understanding of the conversations that have happened in art in the last five hundred years. And and uh, I don't know, seems like a tall order, but. it, it, to, in my mind, it's just got to be done. It's like, how can you formulate where to go when you don't really know where you've been? And it's so so important to know history. Um, it it will inform your work in ways that you cannot imagine. It will give it a gravitas. It will give it a just. It'll be backed up with wisdom and and um, and knowing. Um, and yeah, and go, after that, go deep inside yourself and pull out that which you would be happy to leave the world with after you're gone. I mean, uh, and really think of it like that, really think of of, uh, of legacy. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but um, in order to decide, I mean, you only have 24 hours in a day in order to decide what, what gets made and what doesn't. Um, Aim for things that have real, lasting meaning, um, and then forget the rest. <laughs> and if you go all in to your to your craft, to your whatever it is you decide to do, you know, do go all in. Don't um, don't kind of like uh, just toy with it. You know, do do go all in. Um, don't pussyfoot, as we say. I'm not sure if that word carries in, in the US, but. Uh, <laughs> Don't be timid.
0: Exactly. Yeah. One of the things that I asked, I'm not sure. Do you, have you listened to the previous podcast? I, I'm assuming you have, and that's probably naive of mine.
1: With uh, Mr. Bessa.
0: Yeah, with Bessa, and then I had with Lucho. And then, for example, Lucho, I don't know if yeah. you heard that, but he's a very prominent digital artist. And one of the things that I brought up on that session is that even if somebody doesn't tell me it's luchos, I I can tell that it's Luchos. And I feel the same way about your work. Even if it's a not a banknote, for example, or it's <laughs> it's 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 something else, I can totally tell that it's yours. Mm. Um so I don't know if you do it explicitly or is it part of this exploration that gives you that level of consistency, but what is the why is it important to develop your own style in in your own branding?
1: Well, um, in terms of a commodity uh, so people can can trust um, and buy into what you do, um, I know it sounds you know very kind of materialistic, but it is i mean um, i I mentioned that I skipped around a lot in in art school uh, I went from department to department and i tried I tried every technique I tried everything I could and I guess it was out of it was more out of indecision, and I see how that has manifested itself, you know, outside of art school. And I think um, indecision is insecurity, and when you can really, you know, go for one style and put all yourself into it, um, that's the sign of very someone is very secure in themselves and. That security carries through into others. That allows people to feel secure with what you produce. So, whilst it at first sounds kind of materialist, talking about you know art as a commodity, it's actually um, it's actually about how you connect with your audience. I mean, it's 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 so important. Um, and it's so important to be confident in, in what you do. And that will automatically manifest as uh, consistency. Consistency in approach, consistency in quality, um, consistency in web someone just can say, yes, that is, you know, that's a VESA, that's a, that's a Trevor Jones, that's a Tom. Um, so yeah, super important.
0: Okay, got it. So what are you currently working on I know that you have a series on the deplorables, if I translate it from Spanish, but its <laughs> I don't know if it started as a series of NFTs. That's something that I see quite a bit pop up. And what are the big projects that you're working
1: on right now? Cool, yeah. I mean, the the deplorable series, thats kind of t- that's got a momentum of its own now. Uh, I didn't expect it to kind of sort of snowball the way... I didn't expect to make so many notes in the series. I, I made the, um, the uh, Julian Sarge one of, initially, um, and I just had this whole kind of universe painted out, with you know in my mind uh, of like this sort of non-existent fictional, uh, chaotic Latin American country, um, but it's kind of progressed into uh, into something else, um, and there's there's a lot more figures that that are to be honoured in that series. The really cool thing is that I'm going to start from NFTs because those are cur- currently currently. Um, available just as NFTs on um, Non-Origin and, um, and blockchain art exchange, uh, they're going to be printed as physical currency very soon. And that's super exciting. So I've experimented with printing physical notes before on my own, but in a very limited sense. And that will really kind of push things to the next level because then that will push the boundaries of you know, the print quality and, and you know, the tactility of all these things. And they will exist as uh, standalone single notes, and they 'll also planned is uh, in very, very limited numbers there 'll be uncut sheets uh, that will be available, so that will be this year uh, hopefully the first the first version of that will be this year um, and Outside of that, I mean currency in a practical sense I mean, I always always want to hear from sovereign currency projects and um, collaborate on stablecoin projects, um, because I think there's a there 's a space to produce blockchain empowered cash i think there's uh, there 's definitely something to do there, and as a completely sovereign form of um, of cryptocurrency, um, cash is a really really important touch point of money and it 's there to be exploited um, so there 's physical banknotes there 's banknotes in the practical sense. Um, 2020 looks pretty exciting with um, talk of exhibitions. And I would love to collaborate with other artists in space. I would love to, you know, form those connections, start doing stuff collaboratively. I think that'd be amazing. And the other thing that I'm working on is um, uh, personalization. So, actually producing um, bespoke commissions and um, uh, commission portraits, and also personalizing uh, objects with. I guess you could say banknote like uh, designs and um, that just that level of quality that um, personalized on, on, uh, on various objects That's pretty exciting that that should be released soon so really excited about that.
0: Okay, cool. And then I, I remember the one that's very vividly in, in my mind is the, your interpretation of the, the great wave of Kanagawa, I believe, yeah. uh, the, the art of Hokusai. Uh, so first question is, why haven't you sent that for my private collection? And then, second, uh, could you talk a little bit about that one?
1: <laughs> Anything's possible. Anything's possible. <laughs> that one, uh, yeah, that's interesting. The, the The Hokusai image is that's always been one of my favourite works of art um, of all time, actually. And I find I find it very there's a very spiritual element to it. There's a very kind of mathematical element to it. But I just wanted to create some crazy um, UV designs. So one thing you can do with, with banknote printing is um, you have inks with uh, a UV component. So it can only be view- viewed under ultraviolet light. And that original design was overprinted on uh, an uncut sheet of dollars, which unbelievably you can buy direct from uh, the Federal Reserve. <laughs> and um so I, I put this design in, in UV inks over it and it's only visible under UV under normal light. Um it just looks like a sheet of um of printed dolls. So I, I love the fact that it's it's almost like hidden artwork. And um and I, I gave it I gave it as a present to someone and um I do have prints available of it, um in, in limited numbers that uh Yeah, I'm really proud of of that work. That was the first work that I did uh, that was outside of uh, currency design when I left the industry. And it was the kind of first kind of standalone artwork that I made. So it's really special to me.
0: Yep, I like it too. It's one of my favorite pieces. Have you seen this in person, by the way, the the Hokusai wave?
1: I haven't seen it in person, no, no. Um, But I've studied it very, very closely. Um, It's surprisingly
0: small in person. I, I... I can't remember where, where I was traveling, but it it just so happened that it was uh I think the British Museum had it for a couple of days and I just happened to be in Europe at the time, so I made a detour to go into London one day to see it in person uh so it's uh definitely something I would recommend and if not uh chief monkey, which is another of the another of the artists in the space uh he has some laser cut uh woodprints of it, so it's uh yeah it's 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 something weird, but that's an iconic piece that everybody can, in one weird way can relate to. But your interpretation of it and and put it in in an uncut sheet of dollars was just amazing. And the fact that you put UV light and that component of kind of hiding the, uh, the, the art behind um, UV light is just fantastic. Congratulations on that because you did a pretty good job.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. It is a beautiful work and uh, I love the fact that it's, uh, it is so iconic. Um, and I hear that the, the Japanese currency, they're going to redesign. They're actually putting the wave on there. So in an indirect way, I don't know whether I've influenced the the um, Bank of Japan. Um, I'd like to think I, I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and sorry to sidetrack, but there's a couple of questions that pop in my mind. So first, when you print these physical notes, uh, is there a specific type of company that also produces the real notes and is, is, is there a process there? And then the second thing is, I remember seeing a couple of pictures of you in a, either an iPad Pro or in a drawing pad where you're basically drawing every single line in the note. Is this, is this how you typically do it? Because otherwise, uh, I'm not sure how you find the patience to kind of fill every little bit uh, of the space <laughs> on the note.
1: And the back strength as I'm bending over to, you know, on the iPad. Yeah, it, drawing every single dot, dash, and line. Um, and you sketch it out several times, and you work it, you rework it. It's like a painting. You put stuff on, you take stuff off. You, it's, it, it's crazy. Um, but it's so fun. It's so amazing. In terms of manufacture, so there's, there's a couple of main processes uh, that are involved in brand printing. I can say that there's in Italian, there's lighter printing, there's silkscreen, there's letterpress. And um, I know how to do all of those. So in theory, um, I, could, I could produce it completely by hand, which is an insane concept in itself. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's ever been done before, um, to the complexity that, that I'm going for. So that'll be an interesting experiment, definitely.
0: So Tom, are you aware of anybody else working in the space in terms of producing notes? Uh, I recall seeing some... Bitcoin, cash notes, and then was it the Cascasius coin, I believe, um, that produce physical coins. Are you aware of anybody else that's producing these? And then the work that you're producing, how it, differ, it differs from what they're doing?
1: Yeah, so I'm definitely, definitely aware that it's it's kind of a thing. It's kind of a genre. This um, defacing banknotes or, or making um, cheap notes, it's kind of, it is definitely a thing. And... I guess what I would say is um, the, what I do that's different is that it, it's it's a different gesture because I come from the industry and so it's very faithful to how a banknote is printed. So it's a completely different um, sort of thing I'm trying to say. There was a an exhibition recently in London where it was literally a showcase of the people doing this kind of stuff. And I went along and it was... It was spoof. It was mockery. It was kind of um, kind of punk. Uh, there was a lot of defacing money. There was a lot of um, like painting over the Queen's face and that kind of stuff. Um, it it is definitely a thing, but I would like to use the banknote as kind of a vehicle to express uh, my ideas or express something larger than than it. My kind of tagline is that money is the mirror of humanity and the nature of money uh, says something very, very, it's a very accurate portrayal of how, um, of how the human species sees itself. And I would hope that by being faithful to how money is printed, I get to key into that conversation a little bit rather than existing on sort of uh, the more basic uh basic versions of, of that. If that makes
0: Excellent. Sense. So that was a very eloquent way to say that you're in the you're in the Premier League versus somebody else being in the championship.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> something that fascinates me is is that we as humans we have this this need for the physical. I know a lot of people say that um oh Gen Z and you know the generations up and coming they you know, they see things completely differently and it's all digital, it's all virtual. I get it, but still, in order to um, have something that, is, that you can trust, there is still physicality, is, is like a fundamental touch point of something's uh, brand. I keep on saying brand, but that, that's the word that describes it, the, the, the feel of something. And whenever cryptocurrency is presented in the media, it's usually accompanied by a picture of gold and silver coins. And cryptocurrency has nothing to do with gold and silver, absolutely nothing at all. But somehow we need to see something physical in order to, 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 to make it trustworthy. And this is kind of where I come in because um, the, the touch, the feel, the smell um, and the look of money, it's, it's like the five senses. And it all informs someone's brand, uh, someone's uh, feel of money's brand. And that is so interesting to me because there's something very, very human there that cryptocurrency reveals.
0: Tom, I have a feeling that your work will go up in value, not only the banknotes, but the other physical pieces you produce. So, where can people find you, acquire your stuff before it gets crazy expensive? <laughs>
1: Uh, they can go to um, Known Origin um, and they can go to uh, OpenSea um, by the uh, blockchain art exchange. So check out bitcoin-banknote.com and my artist site, which is tombandby.net.
0: Cool. So, Tom, I want to thank you for your time. Like I said before, what you're doing is very cool. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm looking forward to adding a couple of your pieces to my private collection so we can talk about that offline. Congratulations for everything you're doing.
1: Thank you so much. Uh, eternally grateful for allowing me to be on your your podcast. I think it's great what you're doing. So um, the pleasure is all mine, really. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Curating Crypto. If you liked this episode, help us by sharing, rating, and subscribing. You can also stay in touch by following us on Twitter at Curating Crypto, where we will be sharing additional information and links related to the topics we've covered in these sessions.